your hands leaning on this hot hood of the police car. They know where you live at. They know who you are. They would get me in front of my house, man. In front of my house. Go This is why, at, at a young age, I had a, I couldn't stand the police, man. And I couldn't stand the police. I understand some of their philosophies now that I'm grown. But growing up in the, in where I grew up, the police were not our friend at all. Never, never. Me and a sheriff had a real bad relationship, and he's the reason why the even the dark got shut down, which made me move to Compton, because he didn't like the fact that I had money, brand new RX seven. And he was trying to get at one of my girls, wouldn't make that happen. But he knew where I lived at. So he would follow me home at night, give me tickets for blocking the driveway. And it got so bad at one time that I almost lost my driver's license. And in fact, Eve After Dark was open till five o'clock in the morning most of the time. This cop made it his personal business to go to the uh, county supervisor's meeting and add DJ to the list of entertainment that could not be played after two o'clock. Because technically we were technically we were wrong. I know that. It said no jukebox, no live entertainment after two o'clock. It didn't say DJs. DJs weren't popular back then. So we rocked until five, sometimes six o'clock in the morning. Then the cop realized that every time he came to our spot, it was like two, two thirty. So he went down to the county supervisor's meeting, had them add DJ. He was so proud of his stuff. Oh, my God, he was proud. Big cigar smoking, uh, looking like Yosemite Sam type dude. Came into the club that night, cigar smoking, big fat-ass stogie. Yes, you'll be shut down from two, at 2 o'clock like everybody else from this point on. And he didn't want to give me a warning. He wanted to give me a ticket that night. And this is when I realized all cops are not bad people. We had filed a complaint against the against the sergeant, and the sergeant stopped writing me tickets. He started having his underlings write me tickets. He says, "I'm not giving this guy the ticket, man. He don't do nothing." He says, "Either you give him a ticket, or we're going to the captain." He said, "Let's go then. Come on, let's go. Let's go. Let's go." This guy doesn't do anything. You call. You're constantly messing with him. And that was the first time a cop ever stood up for me. That's when I realized all cops weren't bad. How often were the police going to your clubs? Oh, every weekend. I mean, well, understand this. The owner of the building had a club downstairs. We had two clubs in the same same facility. One was an adult club that had been around forever. And then we had the banquet hall upstairs that we utilized as Eve After Dark. And part of the deal was because he had such a good, thriving business going downstairs, he didn't want that to interfere with his business. Up, he didn't want upstairs to interfere with downstairs. So we said, I don't want no dope in my club. I don't want no dope, no, no dope in the spot, no, no fights, no nothing. So I hired an under, undercover security guard to patrol the bathroom. That's usually where all the dope transactions went down. All they were selling was PCP, uh, PCP, uh, and little weed, but that was too much. So when my boy would catch him, he'd handcuff him, call the police. But we doing this sometimes, maybe once, maybe once, twice, three times a weekend. But I got the same cop every time because we were on his on his patrol. And he just like, dude, you know, he he called me out and says, hey, man, you're beginning, you're beginning to be a, a nuisance. Why am I being a nuisance? I'm trying to keep the, keep the drug, street drug free. Say, Can I make a donation to the policeman's fund or something? He says, no. Nah. But you can give me some of that pussy over there. <laughs> one, of the girls, one of my girls. Hold on, dude. Hold on. 
<laughs> no, that officer that ain't that that's that I ain't no pimp. I can't work like that. He says you look like one. Now he's always wore a suit. You look like a pimp. I'm like, no, nah, that ain't that, that I'm do clubs, man, but thank you. That from that point on, that motherfucker was on my ass. Excuse my French folks. <laughs> this is before this is before Drake. They don't know about they don't know these stories. Yellow was the oldest member of world class wrecking crew, but they were not day ones. They, they were not day ones that even after dark. I had a whole nother crew before them. So a lot of the stories that I tell on the, on these various podcasts, they know nothing about. By the time they got there, all the hard work had been done. We had all the fights, and <laughs> yeah, we had we had most of all the good fights. Establish ourselves and not being punks. All they know is that I'm thinking about moving to Dudos, and you know, and I'm telling them, hey man, the cops are giving me a hard time. And thank God, the distance between Eve after dark and Dudos is only a block. Once you leave Avalon and go a block over, you in Compton. So when you when I get to Compton, I'm a, it's a whole nother city, and they got the Compton PD. On the Compton PD, I have a first cousin on the Compton PD, and all his buddies had my back. It made a total, a wholly, a totally different relationship. Cops supported me. I hired a couple of cops to watch the door, and just the fact that I got cops in, in on the on the premises. Nobody, nobody messed with us. And it just changed everything. That's why, that's why when you see straight out of Compton, they talk about Dudos, Dudos, Dudos. Dudos was a much bigger facility. And we we would bring big acts to do those uh, new edition uh, cameo. I mean, everybody. We, they were, I would bring acts. LL Cool J was a part of the do those the do those tour. So we had all kind of things going to do those that we couldn't do at Eve After Dark because do those was actually a auditorium. We had just every Friday that was it was co- it was uh, secured by the Compton PD. How many clubs have you owned, Lonzo? Uh, six. Six. Which one's your favorite club of all of all of them? Oh man, you know, everyone has a different attribute that made it really cool. Eve was my first one that I always that was my first and my last one. Uh Doodles was much bigger, but it, it had so much potential. I was gonna buy Doodles. I left there and went to um a club. I had one called the Current Affair in Inglewood. That one was cool. I owned everything, liquor license, the whole building, everything. Well, I didn't buy the building, I leased the building. I should have bought the building, but I didn't. And then I had my favorite one, probably going to have to say the Hollywood Park Casino. I had a club in the Hollywood Park Casino for about six years, and that was like living in a hotel. It was on the fifth floor. It held 1,100 people. It overlooked the racetrack, Hollywood Park uh, Hollywood Park racetrack. My office was on the sixth floor, big glass back window, only had three walls. The back, the back window was all glass. I could look over the racetrack on the 4th of July. I take my kids to my office. We can watch fireworks all over the city. I didn't have any rent per se. I had a bar guarantee, a monthly bar guarantee of $20,000, which was easy for us because we had a mature crowd that loved to drink. And all I had to do was DJ and collect money. It was beautiful. <laughs> Only thing about it, what I didn't like is I had to go through, when I want to do something different, I had to go through uh, a chain of command and put a proposal together. It was, you know, it was, it was, I had to go through, I had, to, I had somebody over me that could, had to sign, had to sign off anything I did. And that was kind of, but he was super cool. He was super cool. So we never had a problem. It's just that sometimes I couldn't, I couldn't maneuver as fast as I like to. But yeah, I think the casino probably was my favorite. I like the uh, 
current affair because it was mine. Dudos was big, and again, it was it was on my to do list. But the old man died before I could get a chance to put my bid in. Like I said, even the dark was always my favorite because it was uh it was my first, you know, my first and my last club. Yeah. So we much had, history. Yeah. And was DJing your passion or was the business side of it your passion? DJing is my passion today, dude. I don't want to put you on the spot or anything, but let's just say that you only had five records to work with. What are you taking? Man, I'm going to grab, uh, <laughs> for me, one of my parties, I'm probably going to grab either Flashlight or Aqua Boogie. For my crowd, my older crowd, I know it's going to sound crazy. I'm going to grab Step in the Name of Love by R. Kelly. I'm gonna grab uh, Lenny Williams uh, for "Cause I Love You." Uh, 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 oh, and probably uh, "Daz" by uh, Brick, because these are guaranteed dance records. Guaranteed when you are a um, professional house party DJ like myself. That's I specialize in. I specialized in house parties, and I do them today. Old school house parties. House party music is different from club music. How much pre-work are you putting in before a show, getting the vision together and what you're going to do? Because I'm assuming you're not taking requests. You're you're running your show. Only time I take requests is if I ever get into a situation where I'm stuck. Sometimes you miss you misjudge the crowd. Sometimes you, you the best. Some of the best can misjudge the crowd. I never forget this. I was playing this this um, older club, and I'm playing these older records, and this older lady walked in. She must have been about 70. You got the Tories B.I.G.? Huh? <laughs> I'm like, what? But I forgot that record's 25 years old. So it, I'm saying, I ain't gonna say she was 70. Say, say she was 60-something. She was 40, and she was rocking to that shit in the 90s, okay, when they hit the first time. So that record is still a part of her oldies collection. So once I upgraded my oldies, I upgraded all my oldies to Tupac and Biggie and uh, uh, Ying Yang Twins and Petey Pablo, the whole crowd changed. So sometimes that one a request can help you redirect your your play your playlist that day. So you have to be open to that. I mean, you can always there's always records you're gonna play no matter what. But sometimes that one person give you, oh okay, you like that? Oh shit, well, I got you, I got you, baby, no problem. Drop some DMX on them, and them same old ladies make you ashamed they was your grandmama. <laughs> <laughs> as a dj do you prefer the bigger events or do you like the more you know closed in uh intimate kind of events doesn't bother me man i've done concerts that rock so hard they didn't want the band to come on i'll never forget like 2019 i'm playing at uh this park st andrews, st. andrews park in la and they were having some sound issues with the uh equipment for the band and they asked me to extend my set. I'm, I, I just so happened to MC and DJ the set. And it took about 30 minutes for them to figure things out. 30 minutes, DJ, the, the band going to be in trouble. So I'm going to hit them so hard in that 30 minutes. They ain't gonna, they're going to be up and partying and drink and do whatever they do. By the time the band came back on, they were like, let's see, don't forget the band. It's cool, too late now. We done got fired up. So I take DJ and very competitive. I do my best to make it hard to come on the stage. World-class record crew is the same thing. When it comes to showmanship and crowd appreciation, um, I take that very seriously. I've all we always that's why as a group, world class wrecking crew, we had to rehearse. We were the underdogs. When we first started playing uh shows with, with bands, you got um four bands, which means you got four sets of drums, 
four sets of keyboard, keyboards, four guitar amps. So by the time we opening up the act, we are literally dancing between the speakers. We're doing everybody standing between the speaker, Dre between the set of monitors, I'm between the set of monitors, Shakespeare between some monitors, and we're doing our thing the best we can. But as time progressed, our records got bigger and bigger, so we started getting more space. So to, to get more space, we had to have bigger and better shows. So as our records got bigger, and, we, and a couple of times we had to, um we had some we had some good space on the we lit that shit up, and after that, promoters been as the headliner. You've been through three riots through Los Angeles, and on March third, nineteen ninety one, something that the whole world took notice to was of Rodney King. Can you tell us what that feeling was like leading up to the trial? And then once that decision was made and, and what got everybody together and cracking out in the streets? You know, um, being that I have lived through three riots, my first riot was the 65 riots when the cops, this older lady and her grandson wasn't going for that shit. I realized all three riots were caused by the police's overzealous activities. All three of them. All three of them. All of them become, came from police action. And people are like, I'm tired of this shit, okay? All of them. Um, the first one, I got to say, I was like I, said, I was a youngster, but what I'll never forget about that riot is I lived I lived down the hill, up the hill from my house with a grocery store, a department store slash grocery store. And I remember seeing people carrying stereos, the big-ass stereos. We're talking about them big-ass six-foot grandmama stereos. With the, with the with the record player in the middle, speakers on the side, you put your records in the uh, yeah. They was carrying them, they was helping them down the street. That's when we had them big ass tube TVs. And you got motherfuckers with big ass tube TVs. I never forget more than anything was the National Guard coming through the neighborhood. They would come through the neighborhood in those big ass army trucks. And where I lived at, we lived on a hill. We had a basketball court in the driveway. We didn't have a fence, a gate. Because I was the oldest. I was always allowed, I was the only one allowed to go out in the street to get the ball when it rolled out in the street. And the ball rolled out in the street one time, and I found a bullet, big-ass M16 bullet. And to me, that was the coolest shit in the world. I got, an M I got a bullet, I got a bullet. But I showed my brother, I showed my sister, and she ran in and told my mama, Eric got a bullet, Eric got a bullet. My mama got, took the bullet from me, whooped my ass for not telling her in the first place. When the guys came back through again, and the National Guard came through again, my mama flagged them down. She flagged him down and she cussed this six foot four white boy out like it was like she's like you that's what you guys do now. Whoop, 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 whoop. Yes, ma'am. I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. I mean, I'm sitting there going, wow. My mom just cussed out a dude with an M16 strapped around his shoulder. Okay. This y'all gonna kill kids, these big ass bullets. 1992. I remember I had just left the tire shop. I bought two tires from my truck, my van. I went to my cousin's house and riot was jumping off. They was just whooping Reginald Denny's ass in the middle of Normandy and uh, Florence. And I said, damn, I could have got these tires for free. <laughs> I'm out of waiting. But I never participated in riots. My daddy, he didn't believe in that kind of shit. And I followed his footsteps. But my brother, he wasn't listening to my dad. My brother was uh, one, of the, one of the few guys that I know that had a relationship with Bloods and the Crips. I mean, he literally was a blood in the crib. 
And he came back one day. He said, man, Bloods over there getting at the 7-Eleven. And they was all outside. Uh, they had robbed. They, they looted the 7-Eleven. Got all the good stuff, the cigarettes, the beer. Everything was gone. All they had was condiments left. So they, they in the parking lot exchanging mustard and sat and dressing and relish and shit. And he said, it was really a good time, man. We, I, the Crips had the bread and the Bloods had the, had, had the ketchup. And we was changing the goddamn. Okay. It just made for an interesting situation. And but what I noticed about most of the people, and what, what I noticed about the news more than anything, the news were actually, I don't know if it was purposely or inadvertently, telling people where to go. We're on the corner of Vermont and Slauson right now, and people are looting the grocery store, are looting the furniture store. There's not a cop in sight anywhere. I'm first thing, what are you doing? Yes, we're on the corner of Central and Rosecrans. Right now, there's not a cop in sight anywhere. So I'm like, damn, are these stupid? Or are they just telling people where to go in some kind of code? We're here at the Slauson spot meet, and the police are preoccupied over on Crenshaw and over here, and there's no one here to protect the swap meet whatsoever. And this went on for a while until they went to Beverly Hills. <laughs> Till they went to Beverly Hills. Oh, that shit changed. Okay. <laughs> oh, that shit changed. Okay? Reporting from an undisclosed location. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh, that shit changed. And but I tell you what was crazy for me, I had a van and the gas gauge didn't work. It stopped working. I had to go buy some gas. I ran out of gas. So I kept a little small gas can in my in my truck. I ran out of gas and I had about a about a quarter mile walk to get to the gas station. I walked to the gas station to get some gas and they wouldn't sell me no gas. Oh no, 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 you burn me down. You burn me down. No, man, I'm trying to get home. You burn me down. You burn me down. No, 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 no. And so I had to give another guy money. He was pumping gas. So I had to give him some money. Man, could you please? Here's five dollars. That's what five dollars was, was. You know, with some gas. Here's five dollars. Could you let me pump five dollars in my in my in my tank right quick? My can't so I can get my truck started. He won't sell me no gas. Also, I remember because I live right near Gardena, California, and so many of the stores in L.A. had gotten burned down or looted. That the Gardena police was like posted around the Merle, the main main thoroughfares into Gardena. Like no 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 no, this shit ain't happening over here. Y'all the burn because they was had attitude. You burned down your she drink them and not burned down ours. And that was that's something that never made sense to me. Why is it you gonna burn down? I was shit that you that you patronize every day. That's like me pissing you off and you going in your garage and burning your car up. Are you tearing up your room because I pissed you off? Why that how does that make sense to anybody but nobody? But you know, that's just me. I think a little different. So a lot of the buildings. Never came. A lot of the businesses never came back. But what I, what I can tell you happened when I watched the evolution before the um, the the, the uh, sixty five riots. A lot of um, Jewish businesses were in L.A. right right front. Remember, my insurance man was a Jewish guy. My mom, he, my mom used to always make me go to the store and pay him his money. His name was Sid Rosenthal. After the sixty five riots, they were all gone. Then a lot of black people bought the businesses. Okay, a lot of liquor stores, laundry mats, everything in the hood was black. During the crack era, a lot of those people left the businesses, and then the Koreans came in and started buying those stores. And during the 92 situation, 
those stores got fortified. I would see you would see you would go down the street and see Korean store owners on the roofs with shotguns and rifles. That was that was standard practice, and it just got crazy. But I um it, and then the two thousand riots, that was kind of, that was that was kind of a national thing. That just yeah. that just that was the first time I've seen it nationally like that. Although there have been situations like that before, but that was the first time I saw multiple cities going up at the same time. And it just made for a, a different impact because um, it really makes you realize that what you think is local is actually a national, maybe even a global problem. Yeah, it even impacted up here. Like yeah. We had we had marches in the streets up here in Canada. Every city had them right. in support. Yep. And I think yeah. COVID, COVID played a big part of that too, man, because COVID took all the eyes off the – remember they, they suspended the basketball season? They were playing in these silos or whatever. In the bubbles. In the bubble, right. Thank you, the yeah. bubble. In the bubbles. It should have been happening right during basketball playoffs, which has a lot of attention. We didn't have that attention. So all we had to focus on at that time was George uh, uh, George Floyd and the police situation. And to see somebody sit there and just execute somebody on the streets like that, dude, that's hard to take, man. I mean, there's no justification for that. And people could say whatever they want about George Floyd's past or anything like that, the man's a human being, and that's happening right in the street, people watching. That leaves an impact. I never understood how his past became a factor. Exactly. When you shot this kid in the back or you put his knee on his neck or whatever you did to this person, did you see a sign say, I don't pay child support or I'm I'm a felon? Okay, or that I take drugs, or that I like smoking weed, or I, I had bad grades in the third grade. You don't see this stuff, but what happens is, is the media tends to take all those factors and somehow or another make this big gumbo of bullshit to make it seem like it, this is a justifiable situation. Oh, this guy, he didn't. Pay, he had seven kids and, and it went to jail and paid child support. Blah, didn't pay his child support. Well, what, okay, what they had to do him get killed? Hey, that's not that's not a a death penalty situation. So what's what's the why is that even a factor? But that's how they do it. Or if a cop gets something happened to a cop, he was a he was a outstanding officer, blah, 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 blah. And he, you know, well you didn't you didn't pull up his his uh his personal record and showed he'd been how many how many uh, harassment cases he had you know been filed against him. You don't show that stuff. So it's amazing how the media always find a way a way to spin things that um and, it, and it, this never just that people think for themselves. Exactly. That's exactly what they do. They they almost have a hidden agenda and they're pushing a narrative with with these types of reports and how they say things very specifically to make people have a different outlook on something when really you should just be focusing on what just happened. A man just died. Right. Right. But then there's also with like the, the way the system works with getting clicks and views, they'll they'll pick a subject apart. They'll try and find everything that they can get someone to click on because that's that hot topic and they're just going to make money off of it. I think like it, the system adds to the, to the problem. The way, the way the game is structured now, sensationalism is, is, is a new currency, you know, the more eyes you can get. And I think sometimes the truth takes a, a, a back seat to reality because people, the people need, feel like they need sensationalism to make things work and make things seem more, appealing and life is not that exciting 
it's not that exciting, but you have to make. That's why you got movies. You go to movies for you go to movies for sensationalism and bullshit. You you watch you watch um uh what's that Grant uh, not Grand Theft um Fast and Furious Fast and Furious. You let them jump out of cars and the spaceships and shit like that. Okay. <laughs> Lonzo, it's been awesome. I wish we could actually talk for another couple hours here. I got so many more questions, but let's wrap this up. Before we leave, we always ask our guests to give a positive message to any of the youth coming up, seeing this, something that maybe you learned over your years, something that you'd like to, to relay that message to. What would you have to say to them? I got a few things I'd like to say to people, man. One, find what you love, do it for a living, and you'll never work hard a day in your life. Six clubs, records, DJing. I'll be 66 years old next week, man. And I still feel like I'm 24, 25 because I've been doing what I love doing. I own a newspaper now. So I still love what I'm doing. Don't be afraid to lead, follow, or just get out of the way. Lead, follow, or get out of the way. And people make people make life so much difficult. If you say the words, somebody ought to, why shouldn't it ought to be you? Why can't it be you? I had I had you, I used to do that all the time. Somebody order, somebody order. Well, shit, I'm giving somebody else's orders and recommendations. I can do it myself. So please don't be afraid to lead, follow, or get out of the way. And and when I mean get out of the way, don't be a hater because you see somebody trying to do something. And a lot of times those haters can be so persuasive, you can take, you can knock a true leader off his goal. You can just sit on the hate sideline hating, hating, and hating, but you're not in the trenches seeing what's going on. So you, you know, it's always, it's like football on Monday night. Oh man, so-and-so should have ran to the left and pivoted. You don't, you don't have 11 people looking to take your goddamn head off with a clock running. And you know, you got all this pressure. You can't see you up in the, up in the audience. You're not looking at this 300 pound dude coming to take your head off. Anyway, folks, you can find me on my social media. Real Lonzo NWA. My, my YouTube channel is NWA Stories with Lonzo. And my other one is Legendary Connects, me and Dr. Dre from UMTV Raps. If you want to connect to me on a personal tip, all you got to do is dial this number and send me a text, 424-363-8141. Put in, in the message, put Lonzo, and we'll connect. One more time, 424-363-8141. Put the word Lonzo in the uh, message in the message box. And we'll be connected. We'll add awesome. that number on the screen as well. All right. Much love. I appreciate it. One last thing. Your hat, Compton Entertainment Chamber. Tell us about that. There's an app. I got it downloaded. Tell us about that. Oh, man. Thank you, Doc. After I left the club business in 2019, I started doing a lot of speaking in schools. And one of the things we saw was after the, two, after the Super Bowl when Dre and Snoop did, did that tribute to Compton, the Compton... His, history is not is not being utilized to its fullest potential. And I decided to form the Compton Entertainment Chamber of Commerce to show some love for the people of Compton. In fact, one of our things we have on the agenda coming up shortly is to rename a street after Easy e The uh, preliminary paperwork has already been done, waiting to go to the agenda of the city council. And hopefully for by his birthday, we'll be able to name a street after Easy e It will be called Easy Street. Yeah, man. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's what the Compton Entertainment Chamber of Commerce is about. Also, we just launched a newspaper, Hub City Reporter, and we also launched a um, television channel called the Compton Entertainment Channel, along with the Comp Compton Entertainment uh, app. If you have the app, whatever's going on in the Compton, 
It's people sending me flyers all the time. It's not push notifications for what's going on in the city of Compton. So wherever you are, if you want to download the app, but also download our, cha our channel, Compton Entertainment Channel, on Roku, Fire Stick, Apple TV, and also Android. Nice. We'll put the links to that in this video as well. So people can just click that and hit that because I got the app downloaded. I didn't know about the channel, so I'm definitely going to be hitting that up. Absolutely. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Lonzo, thanks a lot for stopping by, man. You got it, folks. Much love. Thank you, man. Anytime. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Broken Home Podcast, everybody. Take Peace. care.